Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Financial Services Edition of the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is Seth Green here with Jonathan DeYo, expert financial advisor, best-selling author, speaker, and angel investor. Jonathan has led to Yo Wealth Management since 2001, where he and his team work one-on-one with over 200 families and foundations. He's the founder of Mindful Money, and he's a contributor on personal finance matters for Huffington Post, Business Insider, Nerd Wallet, MindBody Green. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Seth, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. What inspired you to found the Yo Wealth Management back in 2001? Well, so I spent before before deal with management. I spent five or six years at different Wall Street firms. I was at seven firms in six years. Uh, so that that was really the inspiration right there. <laughs> enough was enough, as they say. Got it. Okay. So, what makes deal wealth management different? So, first, deal wealth management is no more. It's all mindful money now. The entire brand, the entire company, is mindful money. That that that's true as of like a week and a half ago. Ah, okay. That explains why it's not on your one sheet. All right. Yeah. So what, what, what makes mindful money different? The thing that makes mindful money different is, you know, we're actually looking at the evidence that creates better outcomes. You know, Wall Street and, and the financial planning world basically focus on, um, you know, timing and selection. We live in this culture of pick the best thing, time it right, and you're going to make a bunch of money. And the reality is that does that that misses two things. One, you can pick in time and select to your heart's content. That will never lead to happiness or better better personal outcomes. It, the two are completely disconnected. Uh, and two, it actually doesn't work in the financial services world. Um, so what we focus on is we focus way more on goal focused and planning driven decisions. Um, meaning, you start off with understanding what your trade offs are going to be. Uh, and you start off with making those trade-offs and doing the things you're supposed to do, that actually helps you get where you want to go. The mindfulness comes in because the world is going to always throw questions at you, make you feel a certain way, make you think a certain way. And when it's driving you away from the things you want, mindfulness helps you come back to your plan, to what you know works, and stick with that plan. Okay, so what does the research say, because I know you've done a lot, about the effects money has on happiness? Uh, so basically money, the research says that once you reach about, and it, there's a lot of different research, right? So the, the general idea is once you read about, reach about $75,000 of income, and maybe you adjust that for inflation, maybe it's $85,000 today. When the research was done a few years ago, it was 75K. Then you've pretty much maximized your happiness relative to you know, your income. 
and more income, you know, you might buy a bigger house or live in a nicer car, but it doesn't, you always go back to this baseline of, of what's happiness to you. Uh, you can't really add more happiness. You, you have some more freedom. Um, but once you get rid of the difficulty of not having enough food or not having shelter or not having, then it's not, it's no longer, it's no longer money that leads to greater happiness. And then, and then we have to turn the, turn the channel to things like um, learning, uh, relationships, you know, finding meaningful purpose, uh, being accountable to those things that you really, really believe for yourself and generosity and optimism and gratitude. And th those are the things that actually make us happy after we have uh, the basic level of needs met financially. Okay, so mindfulness and money seems like an odd pairing though. I mean, how does that work? People have so many hangups and negative beliefs and emotional baggage around the topic of money. How do you bring mindfulness to bear? Well, it starts with, you know, mindfulness of what? I mean, first, you define mindfulness. Mindfulness is the non-judgmental um, acceptance of things the way they are. So we all have narratives. We have uh, cognitive and emotional biases. And whether that's with relationships or raising kids or whatever, uh, these cognitive and emotional biases, these, these narratives that we play in our own heads actually affect our decision making. So what mindfulness says is, okay, let's accept the way things are. Let's actually peel back the onion a little bit, see what this behavior will lead to long-term, and then, and then choose a behavior that gets us where we want to go. Choose a focus, choose a narrative, choose a, you know, you basically are choosing and designing your life rather than living by default or living, living reactively. And it's the reaction to the COVID, to the election cycle, to the, it's the reaction that causes us pain. It's the reaction to your, to your spouse, to your partner as well. They, 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 they do something that drives you crazy. You react to it. You, you deepen the problem or you react in a better fashion and the problem uh, reduces. Okay. So I think that segues into my next question. You've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. Why is successful investing more about, it sounds like you're saying emotional intelligence as opposed to financial intelligence and crunching the numbers. Yeah, great, great question. Uh, the, the idea is pretty simple. You know, the more and more and more people that are trying to outsmart the market, the harder and harder it gets to outsmart the market. Like it's the more computing power we have dedicated, the more really brilliant people we have. It, it brings the window of pricing to a very, very not predictable. It's never predictable, but it, it's probably accurate. And so the, the thing that we're investing in is the thing that might happen next that nobody knows, right? So that's, since we don't know, then the emotional intelligence keeps us from overreacting or keeps us from acting inappropriately and just admitting, hey, prices are probably pretty accurate, always. Do they get, do, do, does the entire culture like drive something like the dot-com or, or the Great Recession, does it drive things out of mispriced? Sure, but it's, it's very difficult to get out of your own head at that time. It's better to have a process and a, and a plan in place and follow that process, process and plan rather than trying to guess what's happening next. It's not about more intelligent guessing. It's about more patience and more discipline. Okay, so that's really interesting. So we're recording this during the height of the COVID pandemic. What are, I'm not asking you to give any investment advice on this, obviously, but what are you talking to clients about now when they're talking about the concern of will there be a second spike when the kids go back to school? Will there will we have issues during the election? I mean, how are you addressing those concerns? Obviously, 
there's a lot of those concerns that come up. And, and, and now we're actually, because markets have fully recovered from that, and maybe there's going to be a second spike and all that kind of stuff. But now the conversation is tilting more towards the presidential election than it was COVID. But there are, there are some behaviors that you employ in, your, in personal finance that are always behaviors. And there are some behaviors you employ when things fall apart whether it's because of an election cycle or COVID or a great recession or whatever. And so the, the baseline behaviors, the thing that you always do, regardless of what's going on in the world, is you have to have a plan appropriate asset allocation. This is incredibly boring. This is not an exciting way to invest, right? It's plan appropriate. What does that mean? It means, it means you, you have trade-offs you're willing to make. You have an income. You don't have an infinite income. You have an income. And so how much of that is appropriate for you to save? And then because you can only save that much, how do you have to invest that money so that in terms of a risk return trade-off so that you have enough come retirement, come kids going to school, come whatever those milestones are. So that plan appropriate asset allocation is critical. Second thing is broad diversification. Like it, it would be awesome if seven years ago, I would have said, hey, the only thing you should invest in is Apple. That would have been a brilliant move. It also would have been just luck. It wouldn't have been, right? The fact that it happens this way is great. The next thing that happens, will Apple do this again for the next seven years? No idea, no idea. No one can tell that broad diversification protects you from both. It keeps you from you know, making a killing, but it protects you from getting killed, which is really key in the long term. And then the third thing that's an always do is you do regular rebalancing. This is, again, this is the most boring way you can invest, but it's also the one that the academics and the evidence says works. So that's, that's always stuff. And then, and we're not, we're not in the space to do this right now, but if we see a big dip again, a secondary, set of, a second, secondary spike of, the, of infection, followed by a secondary market drop, maybe 30%, something like that. If that happens, rebalance. Like, you know, have it, it's an opportunistic, if stocks go down 30%, use some of your bonds, buy some stocks, right? That's, that's when it goes down, that's when you buy. Maybe do some tax loss harvesting. Maybe do a Roth conversion. These are all things you wanna think about when markets go down. Right now, of the things that you do when you get an opportunity, the only thing that still exists is really that opportunity to refinance. Now, if you can, if you have debt of any kind and you haven't refinanced in the last three months, you should be looking at refinancing. That's a good way to save some money. Awesome. Great advice. What do you like best about what you do? You know what? If I was a, if I was a really, really, really good doctor, my patient would eventually die, right? There's nothing I can do. I, I can actually create working with a family. And I just had a meeting this morning with somebody and we started working together like eight years ago and she was going to sell her company at that. And I was like, you know what? I don't think you should sell the company. And this morning she was like, Jonathan, the best advice I ever got wasn't investment advice. It was, it was to not sell my company, to grow it and then kind of transfer it to four internal partners. And so now she's in a position where she can set up her kids, her grandkids, her great grandkids and put trust in place and make this thing last and support generation after generation, education, health, housing so that her family doesn't have to worry about this for two, three, four generations. And if, if we do it right and we then teach the kids how to receive and teach the grandkids how to receive, we can make this stuff last for a long, long time. And that actually is really exciting to me. I'm trying to do that in my own family. I do that with as many families as I can so that we have the right lessons about money so that we're doing good things with it. We're investing in a way that's responsible to the world. We're giving back to our communities. You know, it's all those good things, but having a pool of capital that you don't outlive for 200, 300 years is incredible if you can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what inspired you to write the book, Mindful Money? So I had a, I had a the, 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 the foreword of the book is written by a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And I was sitting with her and chatting 
Uh, and uh, she was, this was, this was the bottom of 2009. So great recession, you know, markets are up 57%. Uh, and we're having a conversation about, you know, how do we know if markets are going to recover? Because if you remember at the time, media was saying markets are never going to recover. This is it for capitalism. It's all going away. Uh, and, and I was like, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know when. I don't know how. I only know that. I know that they will turn. I don't know what the trigger event will be. I don't know who's going to pull it. I don't know what's going to, how it's going to happen. I just, I just have this belief that humans don't actually change that much. We, we all want better outcomes for ourselves and better outcomes for our families and for our kids. And, and that's the thing that drives this thing forward. So I think it will turn. I believe it will turn. And it is the belief that it will turn um, that actually drove her to make some decisions that, uh, that she needed to make at that time. And so she said at that moment, she said, Jonathan, you know, this is 2000, again, this is 2009. She said, you have to write a book on this. So I spent the next seven, eight years, probably six years writing a book because I'm, I'm not a writer. She was the writer. Uh, and so I spent six years writing the book and I finally got it published in 2017. Congratulations. And now you've been contributing for Huffington Post, Business Insider, Nerd Wallet. You've been featured on the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. How have you grown mindful money? How have I grown the business mindful money? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we, we started off day one with, and I, and I have all these study groups that you know, I'm, I'm part of and people try this different ways. And I only did, I just did one thing. Like when I, when I left the Wall Street firms to start my company at that time, it was DO Wealth Management. Um, I asked, I took six clients with me. I probably had 250 clients. I took six clients with me, all of which had kind of this, this uh, desire to be, desire to learn. And they all had this desire to be educated and, and they were already planning oriented. They weren't stock pickers. They weren't trying to, you know, figure out and, and, and guess what's going to happen next in the world. And so I took them with, with me and I said, hey, uh, I'm going to start a firm. What would you like to see? And, and they said, we'd like to see more education, more planning. So I built it around them. And then all I ever did was treat them like amazing, you know, gold, like great people. I just did the best I could for them. And they introduced new people. And we just did that for 15 years, 20 years. And we, we grew. Now we have, we work with probably 250 families and uh, there, we have, at that time, it was just me, and now there's eight of us, and um, and so that that growth comes out of not not just creating a better experience for clients, not just creating better outcomes, but by recognizing that that people are always becoming, right? This idea that we all have this, we're all these, we're all unfinished projects, and we all have these goals and dreams and hopes, and if if I can just help them meet some of those goals and dreams and hopes, they're going to be so much happier, so much better off. They're going to, they're going to love it. And that's really what we try to do is say, okay, we're going to take care of this part for you, make this part easier. And then I'm going to do as much as I can to boost all this other stuff so that you have a better life. And so we try to help people become better versions of themselves and just really, you know, that that's what it's all about is, is transformation and helping people become. And that's been, a, that's been what's been for 15 years. That is beautiful. Congratulations on the growth, the recognition. The staff of eight is awesome. How is the firm structured? Are you an RIA? Are you at a full service broker, either broker dealer? How does that work? Great question. We're an RIA. I, I left the broker dealer world. I mean, I did the whole Wall Street firm thing, but I went to these independent BDs. And then about four years ago, we left the independent BDs. And we, we had, I, had my, I had my own RIA for the last eight years, uh, but I still had an independent BD and we lost them about four years ago. So now it's 
independent BD. We custody at one of the big custodians um, that's, you know, going to switch to another one here shortly. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the structure. Fiduciary fee only. It's, it's the best things, I think. I, I would agree. Can you, are you okay to share just ballpark in terms of firm size, a assets under management type of stuff? Sure. I mean, yeah, this, the specifics are, so we, we manage about 280 million. Um, uh, there's, there are two advisors and myself, uh, the rest of everyone else's staff. We manage probably nine or 10 401ks on top of that. Um, and there's this difference in the industry that's, you know, assets under management, assets under advisement. So what I'm talking about is assets under management. These are the things that we directly make decisions yes. on. There's all kinds of other stuff, 401ks and 529s and all kinds of stuff that we work with people on that's part of the plan, insurance. We don't, we don't sell any products. We don't do that. But we just help them build that in the planning process. Um, real estate, we help people with that and everything. Just try, try to bring everything that they need in their financial lives uh, in one place. But uh, that's us. All right. Well, you've done a fantastic job as evidenced by the growth and the recognition. We greatly, greatly admire that. Um, what else do you want to show that I didn't think to ask you? Good question. Any, any question? Like no, nothing actually pops to my mind. I mean, the, the, the best thing is for people to have a way to contact us, right? That's, yeah. That's where can they go get a copy of the book and where can they learn more about you? The best thing to get a copy of the book is to go to local bookstore. Uh, and then if you can't, if you don't have a local bookstore that's open or, or whatever because of COVID, then Amazon always has it. Please make that your second, your second option. Uh, and then, and then mindful.money. And that's, it's important to not get, not, it's not mindfulmoney.com. You'll go someplace else entirely, but it's mindful.money and sign up for our, sign up for our newsletter. Love to, love to include you in the team. All right. Fantastic. This has been Seth Green with Jonathan DeYo of mindful.money. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Seth, thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>